This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode of Keeping Carlson is sponsored by Draft, a daily fantasy app where your chances of winning are over 200% better than on FanDuel or DraftKings. On Draft, you can do a simple snake draft whenever you want and teams only last a day. Drafts take just minutes to complete. Download Draft now or go to PlayDraft.com. Be sure to enter the promo code CARLSON when you download it to get a 100% deposit bonus. And if you're on Android in Canada, you could download the app at KeepingCarlson.com slash DraftAndroidCA. Now on to the show. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes! Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes! Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another jam-packed episode. Elon, you told me that there wasn't maybe a whole lot to get to this week, but there's a ton. We have hot streaks. We've got cold streaks. We've got these, like, three defensemen that you're really interested in, in terms of if they can keep producing. We've got some injuries, some injuries, all the usual stuff. Yeah, man. We'll see how long it'll take us to actually get through everything. Maybe an hour and a half would be nice. We'll do the best we can. We've got a lot for you guys. Hello to everyone in the chat room, by the way. Everyone excited to join us live. Let's mention before we get into everything that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is like a treat. It's a privilege, an honor, because it's the best fantasy hockey website out there. There's no better website that we'd want to be presented by than DauberHockey.com. You could go there, first of all, for the articles, daily ramblings, all of that, monthly articles, ranking players, and you've got the line combinations, starting goalies, basically everything you need to know about fantasy hockey, you could find it at DauberHockey.com. It's true, and I don't know if anyone can see, I'm wearing a Dauber Hockey shirt today. Ooh. I got it a few years ago. It says... No one can see. No, nobody can see, but if it says, if I wanted to hear... From losers, I talk to the guys in my fantasy hockey pool, ah, which gosh. is you, Elon, in one case. And right now, I think you might be you might be getting ahead of me in that pool. Well, good. I deserve it because I'm great. And I just picked up Eric Stahl recently, and I'm excited to talk about him today, along with all the other players. By the way, Brian, I'm also wearing a cool t-shirt. I'm wearing my Team Canada shirt from Puck Tees that Ryan sent us. So you got oh, yeah. Check yeah, I just wore mine the other day. dot org is it puck tees just look up puck tees some good products over there i'm sure it's dot com right i don't know okay let's get into our content let's go to the first fantasy hockey headline of the week gotta start somewhere let's start with injuries let's go to philadelphia we just found out that mccall neuverth is going to be out four to six weeks with a knee injury and oh man this has been a wild week in philadelphia right like last week we talked about the philadelphia goalies on the show we talked about how neuverth had played four games in a row but then we said mason was going to be coming back and 
playing a game and Mason had a good game against Detroit. And then he totally blew it with a 6-3 loss to the Leafs on Friday. Blew it for myself. A Mason owner like screwed my goalie stats. It was really frustrating. So then obviously we knew Neuberth was going to get in the next game. He came in, let in a goal. Then he got hurt. Mason came in, ended up getting the win and had a really good game against Minnesota. So now it's Mason's net. Like he doesn't really deserve it. He's been really brutal all season long, a lower than 900 save percentage. But unless someone from the minors like Anthony Stolarz could come in and steal the job, which I know Brian is going to laugh at me about. But really, I mean, it doesn't take much to do better than Mason has done all season. But I know, Brian, you think that Mason is good. So here we go. The floor is yours. If someone has dropped Mason because they were so frustrated with how badly he was doing and also thinking that he was just going to be splitting time with Neuberth, is now the time to grab Mason? I know what your answer is going to be. Steve Mason, all season has been so bad. Let's clarify that all season means 11 games, (laughs) 546 minutes. If you look at the last three years, Steve Mason has played 7,392 minutes. And in those minutes, he ranks second amongst all NHL goalies in even strength save percentage. Which one do you think is the fluke? Well, I mean, but time goes by. Goalies get older. Like you had that interview with, was it Nick Mercadante or one of the other guys you interviewed? Like saying how, you know, you can't just depend on goalies to say good forever, right? Right. So that's true. Steve Mason, however, is still fairly young at 28 and he'll turn 29 in the offseason. So he's like a real 28 years old. You can go after Mason all you like, but you, Elon, were also backing Neuwirth for most of the year. And he's dead last in even strength save percentage amongst the 33 goalies who have played 300 minutes or more this season. And I think that doesn't speak to Mason's ability. It doesn't speak to Neuwirth's ability. It speaks to how Philadelphia is just not doing it right in the crease, I feel like a goalie needs to be able to think about stopping the next puck, not what impact any particular moment in a game is going to have on their day tomorrow or the next week or the rest of the year or their careers. I just feel like none of them have any idea what's happening to them at any given moment. There's no time to settle in for either guy. And it's just kind of sad seeing them scramble their way through all these really awful starts. I think the Neuwirth injury might be a blessing in disguise for both players because it might finally give Mason some time to get his feet under him, putting Anthony Stolarz in net would be a huge problem to making that happen. And I think it would be so foolish for the Flyers to even consider it. I think it's been foolish of them to run things the way they have. Anthony Stolarz, by the way, if you don't know him, I think he got called up once or twice last year to back up, but never saw any game action in the NHL yet in his career. He's a London Knights alumnus out of Edison, New Jersey, second round pick in 2012. Averaging in the mid-9-10s and close to 100 AHL starts, he's come out pretty strong this year in the AHL, but that doesn't mean anything for counting him better than Steve Mason. I'm going to remind you, second in the NHL and even strength save percentage over the last three years, Carey Price is ahead of him. That's it. Rask is behind him. Lungfist, Luongo, Crawford, Schneider, Holtby, Bishop, Elliot, all those guys behind Steve Mason. And that's why I think this is a golden opportunity for Steve Mason to get on his feet. Elon, I feel like every day we're asked about Steve Mason or Connor Hellebuck. This is it. This is Steve Mason time, the next four to six weeks. And then we'll see what happens once Neuvers comes back. But I think he's going to have established himself. Hellebuck with another win today. He's finally establishing himself in the net. He's been great. And you're going to tell people that they should drop him for Steve Mason if they have the chance? Yeah, totally. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm going for gold here. I know Hellebuck is a blue chip prospect on a Jets team that now has Truba helping to firm up the defense and steady things for the whole team. But 
I'm still, I'm excited for Steve Mason to see some time, unless, of course, the Flyers decide to keep this split time going and just randomly throw in Solars instead of Neuwirth whenever they want. Okay, so Brian, we're getting a question in the chat room. Are you going to, I guess you're basically saying you still think, like you said last season, you took a lot of flack for it, but you're going to say it again, Steve Mason, elite goalie. I'm not backing down from this until I see more, until I see him fail in a position where he has an opportunity to succeed, which Philadelphia has not presented him this year. The last three, four years, I've been banging the drum that Steve Mason is better than we all give him credit for. And the stats I've quoted back that up. So I still believe I haven't seen anything to show me otherwise yet. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. We get your point. We'll see how it goes. I, I feel like I, I'm coming at you hard this episode. It's like when it, it's not the, the typical keeping Carlson flow, I guess. Just have an argument right off the start. Connor Hellebuck, I'm just going to say three straight wins now with an over 920 save oh in all of them. Yeah. Winnipeg is a team that's doing well. They have Truba back, which I think really does a lot for their defense. We'll talk about him soon. I mean, don't let what I said overshadow the fact that it's a good time to own Connor Hellebuck. Jacob Truba being signed. Did we talk about that last week, Elon, and how that's good news for Connor Hellebuck and the rest of Winnipeg's plus minus if your leagues count that? So that's good news. It's it's the best time all season long to own either Neuverth or Hellebuck. Not Neuverth. Either Mason or Hellebuck. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'm really excited for next week so we could talk about how Steve Mason blew it for all the people who you said that he sh- they should pick him up. So, okay. Let's now go to Columbus. Another injury. Seth Jones out three weeks, which is a bummer, but of course not as big a bummer as it would have been for the Columbus Blue Jackets if they didn't have Zach Wierenski in there because he's still been amazing. Hashtag Team Wierenski. I tried to yell at people a few weeks ago before I interrupted the intro music to tell people to grab Zach Wierenski. If you didn't, you know, I have nothing I could tell you at this point. He's got 12 points in 13 games. Seth Jones, on the other hand, before he got injured, had six points in 10 games, which is almost a 50-point pace. That's like a very low-key, good pace that he was putting up. Of course, we've been talking about how Columbus has been scoring so, so many goals, so he probably wasn't going to be keeping that up if we didn't think that the other guys, like Felino and whoever, aren't going to keep it up. But anyway, small sample. How do you feel about Jones for the rest of the season now that Wierenski has taken the top power play D-man job? Like, I feel like if you want to buy Seth Jones, now's the time. He's completely overshadowed. Now he's going to be out for three weeks. I feel like if you want to get him maybe in a keeper league, if you think that he's still like a blue chip prospect, he was drafted really high. Like, yeah, I just want to get your sense on Seth Jones at this point. He's been more of a blue chip defensive prospect than he has been an offensive or even true two-way defensive prospect. What's interesting to note, you know, we talked about all the success Columbus has been having on their power play. None of Jones's six points have been a part of that. He's had four at even strength, actually all six at even strength, but four of them at five on five and the other two at other forms of even strength hockey. Last year, Jones had 20 points in 41 games when he was traded to Columbus. That's a 40 point pace, but nine of those were on the power play. So with his power play responsibilities reduced this year, I certainly wouldn't have him pegged for more than a 40 point pace, probably 35, 40 point range. And, you know, if Wierenski gets injured, then of course he gets a big bump. But at this point, I'm not looking for him to set a brand new career high pace. All right. So that's this year. Maybe in the future he could do more. But obviously, Wierenski is in the way that they were both playing on the top power play. So there is room for both of them to potentially succeed. Though we're seeing with Aaron Ekblad that sometimes being the second demon on the top power play, you know, it doesn't maybe count. But we'll get to him actually in a little bit. Brian, another week, another blowout win for the Blue Jackets. They won 8 4 yesterday against St. Louis. So that leaves Felino, Wenberg, Atkinson, Sad, all with 12 or more points in 13 games. Are you still thinking we're selling high on all of these guys if you have the chance? 
So last week I said that all this power play success in Columbus would die down soon enough for guys like Wenberg who are getting the large majority of their points with the man advantage. But then you look at the top 10 even strength scorers in the league and you have three Blue Jackets amongst them. You have Brandon Saad tied for six with 10 even strength points. Then Felino and Hartnell both tied for ninth with nine even strength points. So if those guys are cruising at five on five, then maybe, you know, a power play regression isn't going to hurt them that much, except for the fact that their on ice shooting percentages are still all way too high, way higher than they should be, and twice as high in Hartnell's case. Saad and Felino, though, have less distance to regress. And here's a thought. So in Felino's 73-point season two years ago, Felino's on ice shooting percentage was also high and it was high all year and you know I referenced it saying it's not going to stay that way all year long and so now maybe you're starting to think okay he's got a high on ice shooting percentage again maybe he's doing something in his game that we're not currently getting that's not showing up in the numbers that nobody's really latched onto something he does really well that lets him maintain an abnormally high on ice shooting percentage but for those who are thinking that What you have to keep in mind is that during that 73-point season, his on-ice shooting percentage was still at 10.5%, which is high. In the year to date, it's even higher by a fair bit at 13%. So even if you think that he has figured out some kind of special key to make sure that he and everybody else scores at a much higher rate while he's on the ice percentage-wise, I don't think he's done that quite yet or will ever. I don't know why I added quite yet as a qualifier there. Okay, well, it'll be fun also, I guess, with Mason. Like, a lot of these storylines are, like, ongoing, and it's a really fun time to be playing fantasy hockey just to see what's going to happen. Like, is Columbus going to have another blowout? Because, I don't know, like, it maybe they're the type of team that overall they'll average out, but if every once in a while, if every once in every two weeks they could score, like, eight goals or ten goals, that's just, like, a huge boon. That could, like, win you your week in one game if you have a couple of those guys. Let's move on to another team. Let's go to another injury. Carolina, Justin Falk. Ugh. Brian, I think at this point we have to use the Dobbers coined phrase Band-Aid boy for Justin Falk. Like we were hoping finally this would be the year he'd be healthy, but it hasn't happened. He's hurt again, just like he was last year. At least he's on the IR. At least they had the common decency to put him on the IR and not leave him as day-to-day for the people who don't have IR plus spots in their leagues. So, okay, Falk injured. Obviously, whenever a player gets injured, especially like a top power play defenseman, I want to look and see, oh, so who's going to benefit? Who's going to be the new guy on the top power play? And you look on Carolina, just so many random defensemen that many people might not even know exist like brett pesci jacob slavin and noah hannafin we've mentioned hannafin on the show but all three of those guys have been seeing decent power play time do you think it's worth like grabbing any of them or do you have any reason to believe that any of them are worth owning while falk is out well first off we have a lot of people who are a little upset with falk already and the injury just exacerbates that he has six points in 11 games but to those who are upset i I ask what exactly were you expecting he's a guy who gets 45 points tons of shots on goal, 10 to 15 goals. And that's about what he's on track for. The Carolina power play is nothing special, which doesn't help Falk, nor does it help anyone else who might step into his role. So if you look at who is getting the biggest bump so far, it might be Noah Hannafin, whose power play time on ice could probably rise the most at the end of the day for the duration of Falk's injury. But Slavin and Pesci, whose names I'm just guessing on, uh, they're seeing the bigger bump at even strength. Overall, though, Carolina's scoring so little that I'm I'm not that interested in any of these options. Before last night's five-goal explosion, they had just 15 goals over seven games played. So if you want to make a play, like if you have Falk and it's really deep league and Hennepin's available, 
I guess you can try to make Hennepin that replacement. What I'd be interested in watching is if the Canes offense still goes as often through that point spot where Falk normally is, if Hannafin is in it instead of Fox. Right now, Hannafin has seven shots in his last two games. So maybe on the power play, they might still run it that way. Uh, there's been no noticeable bump in shots on goal for any of the other players, however. All right. Well, so we'll have to see. I, I think, yeah, Hannafin does seem like the biggest name. I remember last year there was a stretch where Slavin and Pesci were doing okay. But yeah, you'd have to be in a pretty deep league to get me interested in grabbing either of those guys. And we're going to be bringing up a lot of kind of new defensemen on the scene that have been producing. So I guess we'll leave Hannafin as the top free agent defenseman to grab with Falk injured right now. But I think he's going to get bumped pretty soon when we get to those other guys. Speaking of Carolina, Brian, don't look now. Cam Ward has put up three quality starts in his last four games. Eddie Lack, by the way, 100% snoozer. You said going into the season. Oh, maybe we'll have another argument actually right now. You said going into the season, Eddie Lack, now he's going to for sure take the job because Cam Ward sucks and you have so much faith in Lack. Lack's been like disastrous. I don't even want to say his numbers. It's like embarrassing to him for me to say it. Ward's numbers, you know who they're better than so far this year? Steve Mason. Yeah, and 12 other goalies, but that's not that impressive. He's 21st out of 33 goalies, an even strength save percentage. Actually, so only 11 other goalies. So, Elon, I'm going to ask you, do you think Cam Ward is better than Steve Mason? No, I don't. I don't. I would definitely not be picking up Cam Ward because I think he would blow up my numbers. But I just think it's interesting. He is still capable. If you need a spot start, like, he is capable of having good games still. He's not, like, I don't know who I could mention here. But there's been some goalies in the past that we've talked about, like Anders Lindback or something. like it's just Or Darcy Kemper, actually, who's playing today. And actually, I think did pretty well. But, you know, in general, some of these guys are really scary. I guess Cam Ward is also scary, but he's had three out of four good games in his last four. So worth mentioning if you need to pick up a goalie for a spot start every now and then. Yeah, and I'm ready to admit defeat on Eddie Lack at this point of the year. Anyway, I put my money where my mouth is. I drafted him in a couple leagues thinking he was a really sneaky, late round value goalie pick. And uh, he sure wasn't. I, I think Eddie Lack deserves a team that's going to appreciate him a little more. Clearly, it's not going to happen in Carolina. I mean, clearly, it's not going to happen anywhere, because why would anyone (laughs) appreciate someone with those horrible numbers, less than the 900 save percentage? His work in Vancouver was not a fluke, in my opinion. It's just gone totally sideways for him since he became a hurricane. And I think he can still be a really great reclamation project for another team. Okay, so we got Dave in the chat here saying, yo, legit. Talk about Cam Ward equals Ryan Miller. Would you put those two in the same? I think you did in Schmore Goalies Borg. I think you put those guys in the same tier as like not good goalies on not great teams that we don't expect yeah. much from. Like who would you even want between the two of them? Or would just like leave both as free agents? I'd try and leave both as free agents if I could. I guess, you know, Carolina, I was hoping, would have some decent value as a team who could be a little bit better than projected. And they're certainly not living up to that at all. So they're not a whole lot better than Vancouver so far, which was their advantage of choosing even Cam Ward over Ryan Miller. I guess Ryan Miller is going to get you hopefully better rate stats than Cam Ward, but in almost all certainty, fewer wins unless Ward begins splitting time with Lackey. And I don't know, those two goalies are a mess. I don't want any of them. Yeah. And I mean, Ryan Miller, by the way, a 0.899 save percentage so far on the year. So it's not as if he's a sure thing for good rate stats. That's for sure. 
he did get the win today, Dave. So, you know, what do you have to complain about? Vancouver actually won 5-4 to four against Dallas. Huge win for the Canucks. Uh, but it, it won't matter because they're definitely going to not make the playoffs or come anywhere close. Let's go to a couple more injuries that we don't really know much about. But I'll just mention just so we can maybe speculate or look at the lines. Andre Kopitar is out day-to-day with an upper body injury. You know, he only had eight points in 15 games played so far on the year. We talked about him last week as someone who was on a cold streak. Maybe it's like a small relief. I mean, hopefully he won't be out long. Maybe if he's out for like a week or something, maybe it's a nice small relief for people who have them on their roster and are wondering, ugh, what do I do with this guy? Obviously can't drop him, can't trade him. At least now you could stash him in IR, maybe pick up a hot free agent that we mentioned on today's show. But it's interesting to look now what happens on L.A., because that's your number one center. So Jeff Carter gets to become the number one center, but it's not like he has such great players to play with. Like, you know, with Gabrick injured also, today they were running Carter with Toffoli and Dwight King, then Trevor Lewis with Tanner Pearson and Teddy Purcell. Teddy Purcell back into a top six somewhere. Man, yeah, like they are a very shallow team when you look at them, especially after they have a couple of these injuries. Yeah, not a lot of depth down the middle, and you pretty much are just hoping if you own an LA King like Toffoli or Pearson or even Purcell in deeper league that they're going to play with Jeff Carter. Anyone playing with another center is not going to be very successful in this new situation. Trevor Lewis has had little bits and pieces here before, but I don't think he's anyone you can count on to create offense, which I think you really need given, again, the depth on the left and right side is also not that great in LA. They in Chicago have really, you know, the cap, the cap hurts after you win a cup. Yeah. So LA right now, I guess the one benefit maybe goes to Tanner Pearson, who jumps up to the top power play to take Kopitar's spot along with Carter and Toffoli. So maybe Tanner Pearson could do something. I think he actually did something today. Let me look at the box score. Winnipeg beat LA 3-2 to two in the shootout. And yeah, Tanner Pearson scored a goal, not on the power play, assisted by Teddy Purcell and Trevor Lewis, those two great linemates we just talked about. So maybe something there, you know, we talked about him before as someone who was a lot more exciting when he was playing with either Carter or Kopitar. So maybe this evens out. He gets on the top power play, but he loses a good centerman at even strength. Uh, The other injury I wanted to mention, Matt Duchesne is out day to day with a concussion. This is obviously a bigger hit currently than Kopitar just because Duchesne had been doing great. 11 points in 13 games so far on the year. And we were worried about him. Remember at the very beginning of the year, it looked like he was like not on a good line and not being on the top power play, but he totally bounced back. So anyways, Duchesne's injured. What does that do for the Colorado Lions? I'm looking now what was scheduled for today, but who really knows? Like McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen. So loading up the top line, Rantanen still there. You know, I know a lot of people are thinking it's time to drop Rantanen, but he's getting the opportunity. He's also on the top power play still. Or is he? I don't know. Now I'm seeing maybe Landeskog, McKinnon, and Grigorenko on the top power play. I don't know. Is there anyone on Colorado that jumps out at you, Brian, is benefiting from this Duchesne injury? Maybe Grigorenko going to the top power play? Well, first off, I never gave up on Matt Duchesne, just for the record. It's unfortunate, though, that he is out injured. You know, Grigorenko has been a decent depth producer at times already this year, and Soderberg as well. So maybe you take a look at one of those guys if they get into a better situation. But there's really no obvious benefactor right out the gate. In fact, again, I think it's like L.A. where you have one less guy to help distribute offense throughout the lineup. And now it just might all really be concentrated on one line. And that is the line that Nathan McKinnon is playing on. Not to discount what Gabriel Landeskog does, though. Well, they'll, they're on the line together. So there you go. All right. So now let's move from injuries. Let's go to happier news, outjuries. But actually, this isn't going to be such a happy outjury segment. Because I'm going to talk about a lot of players who are finally back with their teams and really not doing anything. And all the owners that were waiting, excited to get them back on their teams have been let down. Let's start in Buffalo with Evander Kane. He's played three games since his return. Still no points. 
seven shots on goal in those three games. It's only like two shots a game. This is a guy who you bank on for like three plus shots a game. So he hasn't even been giving you that. Now Ryan O'Reilly is injured. Ugh, Buffalo, man. I feel so bad for them. They have so many good players. Like how are Eichel and O'Reilly injured just as Evander Kane comes back? It's brutal. Anyways, with O'Reilly injured... Kane was seeing time with Reinhardt and Ocposo on the top line. So they were loading up the top line. You know what? It's really hard to really bank on any of these Buffalo guys right now. Like, I don't know if you could really blame Evander Kane. It's been seven games in a row where Buffalo hasn't scored more than two goals. But like, is it time for us to lower expectations on guys like Evander Kane and also, I guess, Sam Reinhardt, who I had big hopes for going into the season because I thought he was going to be playing with Jack Eichel and clicking and doing awesome. Ugh, but obviously, Eichel will be back at some point, which will be great. But yeah, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Kane specifically. And also give me some hope for Reinhardt because I have him in a couple of leagues. So do I. I think you've sort of gotten at the heart of it, though. Nothing can really happen in this Buffalo lineup with his revolving door of injuries. Evander Kane didn't even pick up a hit in his last game against New Jersey. No hits and a minus three with no points against New Jersey. The things that you at least want to depend on him for, you know he's going to get a couple shots and a couple hits. So that's really rough. And like you said, O'Reilly is now day-to-day with a middle body injury, which just makes me think that someone kicked him in the nuts. So like with Reinhardt, it was like, okay, wait for Kane and Eichel to come back. And then Kane came back, but now O'Reilly's out and Eichel's still weeks away. And who knows what else is going to happen in the time that it takes for O'Reilly and Eichel to come back. I think you just need to temper your expectations for any Buffalo Sabre right now. Reinhardt could move to be top line center, play with Ocposo and Kane, but sacking that top line is really the only way this works well for really any fantasy production in Buffalo. So we have to wait and see how Dan Bilesma is going to set things up. Yeah, and he's been shaking things around a little bit. Like we were excited about Matt Molson at some point getting top minutes. So he's come down from that, though. I think he had a goal recently. Also, even like Kyle Ocposo, only one assist in his last four games. So a lot of people are really excited about the Sabres. I still think they have the potential to be a high-scoring team, but they need to be healthy. And right now they are far from that. Okay, so let's go to another guy being totally disappointed, not doing anything. Hampus Lindholm. I kind of called this, I think, like, you know, when it was announced that he had signed and he was going to play, I guess it's not an outjury. It was just a signing and then he had to fix up his visa issues or whatever. But I'm going to loop him in. I'm going to lump him in here. So, yeah, I was wondering why everyone was talking about, oh, should I drop this guy for Lindholm? Should I drop this guy for Lindholm? This is a guy who's never had more than like 35 points in a season. And right now he's come in no points in three games since signing five shots on goal, only two hits and two blocks in three games, which is pretty much nothing. He's been playing on the second power play with Kevin BX. That's been Vatanen and Fowler sticking on the top power play. People rushed to grab him. At this point, could he be a free agent in most leagues? Like, can you drop him for one of the hot defensemen we're about to talk about later in the show? Okay. Well, I mean, like, it's really vague for you to say, can we drop him for one of those three unnamed defensemen who we have yet to mention? All right. So here, I'll just mention their names. Shea... S-K-J-E-I, who I, you said his name is pronounced Shay, which is good that you told me that or else I would have said Skaji. <laughs> but like, <laughs> then there's like D'Ang- Anthony D'Angelo's doing well, you know, and then there's Michael Delzato. There's, there's always like some defensemen, maybe in some leagues, there's still Damon Severson hanging around in there who's getting that top power play time in New Jersey. So there are usually at least one or two interesting defensemen. I'm just wondering, does Lindholm warrant a spot on your roster over some guy that you are you know probably all these guys you might end up cycling in a couple of weeks when they slow down but is Lindholm a cycle guy or is he someone you hang on to hoping for more the thing that I'm looking at when I'm wondering if there's something wrong with Lindholm is the rest of the production from the Ducks blue line and since October 28th a span of eight games played Fowler and Josh Manson 
lead the Ducks in blue line scoring with three points in eight games, which is not very impressive. Sammy Vatanen, just one point in his last eight games. So Lindholm, I can't really fault him for not doing well. The forwards seem to continue to be able to rack up some points because the Ducks have had a few four or five goal games in that eight-game span. So I think... uh, I think it's not Lynn Holmes' fault. I think he's going to be okay. You probably could cycle him out with a lot of people not that interested in adding him at the moment. But I think in the long run, he's probably going to be a better option than at least two of those three names, which we will dig into later in the show. All right. So maybe hang on for a little bit longer. But yeah, it's a career high 34 points for Hampus Lindholm. So, I mean, temper your expectations. He's not even on the top power play. Maybe he can bump. I'm sure Ian, who's listening, one of the patrons of Keeping Carlson, he's going to say Fowler should be bumped. Like Fowler shouldn't even be on the team. But like for now, Fowler's ahead and getting the power play time. So I'd rather have him than Hampus Lindholm, you know, in fantasy. I'm not saying in real life. Uh, Dave in the chat is saying he wants us to talk about the greatest of all time, Mike Fisher. Dave, you keep trying to like interrupt the show here. We have a whole plan. But yeah, he is an outro. He was injured for a little bit. Then he came back and he's been really good. So take a look at Mike Fisher. Maybe Brian and I will discuss him next week. But let's <laughs> go back to well, no, our regular I'm, I'm, program. I'm interrupting you. Two points, two assists in two games since missing three games due to injury. So it was not the most dramatic of outjuries, although it was the second time this year he's missed time. And that's the caveat with Mike Fisher. You can add him, but he's going to last like eight or nine games before potentially getting hurt again. Well, that's fine. Just enjoy him while you have him and then cycle him for someone else. If you think that he's good, like, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep it up. He's currently playing, I guess, on line three for Nashville, at least in the last game with Austin Watson and Victor Arvidsson. I'm seeing here on the Dauber line combos. They stacked up line one with Forsberg, Johansson and Neil last game and they really broke out. So I don't know. I'm not rushing to grab Fisher. Well, I was just going to say, you know, who doesn't have two points in his last two games? And that's Ryan Johansson. He had no shots on goal even in that game against Anaheim, but he did have an assist. So that's promising. That's something. Okay. Anyways, we were on Anaheim. We're talking about Hampus Lindholm. I wanted to bring up one other guy, Brian, Ryan Kessler. He's someone who we always sort of talk about on the show as like, uh, you know, even if he's hot, he's not going to last. He's not going to get you more than like 50 points. But hey, he had two goals against Carolina a couple games ago, which brought him to 12 points in 16 games, which is a 61-point pace. He's basically been a fixture on line two with Silverberg and Cogliano. But he's also been getting a lot of top power play time with Getzlaff and Perry, along with those other two defensemen that we've been talking about. So it's been, a, I think, a better situation for Kessler than usual. I don't recall him being on that top power play last year so much. Every year, Kessler goes on one of these runs, and then you say he's going to be a 50-point guy. Like I said, same story this season, or do you think this extra power play time makes you think maybe he can challenge for closer to 60 than 50? Yeah, he has been seeing more power play time, and it's helped him. First, though, let's go back to the second half of last year. 41 points in his last 43 games played. And yes, that whole time, it was like, ah, Ryan Kessler, if you want face-off wins, go for him. And yeah, he's on a hot streak. But eventually, I think by like March, uh, after an amazing January and February, we did finally buy in and say, okay, just just ride him while he's hot. And the year before that, like he's had hot streaks before in Anaheim. He, he had 15 points in his first 18 games to start the year. So yeah, he does this. Although I don't know if it's fair to characterize last year's finish as a streak since it took place over half a season. But if we look at what's different this year, or consider it actually as more of a continuation of his finish last year instead of like a brand new Ryan Kessler, maybe things uh, start seeming pretty interesting. He already has six power play points, which represents 40% of his total power play point production from last year. And as you mentioned, Elon, he's averaging another minute and a half on the power play per game compared to last year. Now on the top unit, that helps. Currently on a 61-point pace, 
but still due for the usual regression. However, in light of the power play role change, I'm not just going to call him the 50-point max guy that I normally do. I'm going to say instead 50 to 55 instead of 45 to 50. Maybe I'm still being a little conservative, a little gun-shy over Kessler, but my perspective is if you find someone in your league who thinks he's a 60-point guy and you own Kessler, find that person and sell high because you can probably get somebody who's a better bet to get 60. All right. So yeah, I guess, and obviously throw all this advice out the window if your league counts face-off wins, because I know in leagues like that, we hear all the time in hits, like he's like a top 10 guy in those kinds of leagues. So, but if we're just talking about points, tweet us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you have an idea of someone you want to try to offer Kessler for. We'll let you know if we think that it's worth it. All right, let's go to Florida. Brian, another outjury, another guy not really doing anything. UC Jokinen, two games back so far, no points. He has two assists now in six games overall on the season. Interestingly, with Jokinen, he was put on the top line yesterday with Yager and Barkov, and Marcheseau was bumped to line two with Riley Smith and Vincent Trocek. So I don't know, probably still a good position for Marcheseau, and who knows if this will last since Jokinen's not doing anything. But last year, Jokinen, 60 points. It was a really great breakout season. You know, he's done this before earlier in his career. He's been in the league, like, forever, by the way. He's actually he's only 33 years old, but he started in 2005. Yeah, so at this point, on one hand, he's back, which is great. He's on the top line, apparently, which is great. But I'm not seeing any production. So what's going on with UC Jokinen? Is he worth holding on to at this point? Well, the first line is an interesting place to be right now because we talked about Barkov having a long drought. Now he's on a three-game point streak. Yager, though, still only has three points in his last 10, which is very disappointing. Meanwhile, I look at the second line, and they are rolling. Trocek has six points in his last seven games, three goals, three assists, 19 shots. Riley Smith, also, he's getting there. Two goals, two assists for four points and 16 shots in his last seven games. So maybe that's the better place to be at the moment. Although Jokinen on the top line is not anything to balk at. I think he's still a good player. The original, by the way, since you mentioned the start of his career, the original shootout specialist, UC Jokinen, back with Dallas. No goalie in a shootout wanted to see him coming their way. I think he's going to be okay. It's only been six games for him starting from the start of the season, which is, you know, you're finding your legs. And then he got injured, so now he's finding his legs again. I'm willing to give him a bit more slack, especially because Yager's not doing much better and Barkov just started doing better. Give him some time. And actually, there's another Panther who there's a, well, we'll get to him. We'll get to him later in the show. Oh, okay. All right. Keep some intrigue going. Jonathan Marshall, so since I mentioned him, another week goes by, another couple of goals. So he's up to 14 points in 15 games. I am not worried about him going to the second line. Like, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen when Hubert Doe comes back. Someone has to leave that top six because it's only going to be room for six people. And I'm counting seven guys that seem like they deserve to be there with Marcheseau, Barkov, Yager, and then Jokinen, Trocek, and Riley Smith, and then Hubert Doe coming back. So it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen but for now, Marshall's really good. Are you still thinking like sell high on Marshall before Huberto comes back? Or do you think he's earned a spot on one of those lines? So he's still been reasonably consistent. He's still taking a good number of shots, but he's only been scoring a point every other game for the last eight. So he's gone from zero points, one point, zero points, one point, and so on. Uh, but again, still, you know, taking a couple four shot games in there. I think he's slowing down a little bit. I don't know that he's going to come to a full stop until he falls out of that top six. If it happens, Neil, and don't forget, by the time Huberto's back, so will Nick Bjugstad be. And oh. so falling out of the top six might not be a terrible thing. It could be like a New York Rangers 
situation, except in my opinion, a little more talent. Yeah. And Marcia, so by the way, if you recall, was sort of being used as a power play guy on Tampa Bay last year, even though he wasn't in the top six. So theoretically, even if Marcia, goes to line three to play with Bjugstad, but then he might still get on that top power play. So there's still hope, you know, maybe are you going to give him the Kessler treatment? Like if you find someone who will trade a legit 60 point guy for him, then you'd say you would entertain offers for Jonathan Marcheseau. Yeah, absolutely. Even like a 55 plus point guy, I still might listen pretty hard on those just because we don't know what the future holds for Marcheseau, whereas you probably do for a guy who's hit that mark three or four times in his career. All right, so let's go to Winnipeg. Another outjury, or I guess this is another outjury. This is another signing, but Jacob Truba joins the team. And again, this is a guy who a lot of people rushed to add. And I wonder why. And like, I, I see more. Like, by the way, he today, Winnipeg, like I said, beat LA three to two. And Truba played 27 minutes, second most on the team, only behind Dustin Bufflin. Four blocks. He had decent power play time too. So he's looking good, but no points so far for what it's worth so at this point the question is just like what can people expect from Jacob Truba for their fantasy teams he seems to be really valuable for the Jets I think this is a really great thing for Connor Hellebuck like we discussed earlier but at the same time oh and also Tyler Myers is injured so I guess Truba's maybe getting an increased role because of that or maybe he would have had it anyways he was playing on the second power play with Enstrom today and yesterday so who would you rather have at this point like Brian between Jacob Truba and Hampus Lindholm a guy we talked about before another defenseman who just signed that doesn't have any points yet I'd much rather have Hampus Lindholm. Truba has a couple shots, a couple hits, a couple blocks a game. So maybe from him, you'll get those peripherals consistently rather than with Lindholm, where it's either he gets points or he doesn't. But Truba does not get points. He's not a point getter. I think he's got a 35-point ceiling in a good year based on where he is right now. And I think 25 to 30 points is actually a much more realistic expectation from Truba. He really gets his name talked a lot about for somebody who has such little fantasy relevance. Yeah, well, like I said, four blocks today. So you're right, maybe a bit more peripherals. And he's getting power play time. So I don't know, I might even take Truba. Maybe that's crazy. Also, it seems like Winnipeg is also scoring a lot of goals. They have the NHL's leading goal scorer, the leading point scorer right now, which we'll get to those guys a little bit later. So I guess it's pretty close between them. Brian, also, what's up with Dustin Bufflin? Like the Jets, like I said, they have Shifley with 20 points in 16 games. They have Line A with 11 goals. These are the NHL leaders in points and goals. Meanwhile, Dustin Bufflin, only eight points in 16 games, which I guess is okay for a defenseman. But Dustin Bufflin is the kind of guy you expect to put up like a 50, 60 maybe point pace. Right now, he's only on like a 41 point pace. And his team is scoring and he's getting like the top power play time. Like, is it just a matter of like a low IPP? Is he on the ice for a lot of goals? and just happens to not be getting an assist. Is this a luck thing? Or should people be worried about Dustin Bufflin, I don't know, slowing down or for whatever reason, not getting points? I don't think it's something to be worried about. I mean, we all think that the age-related decline is coming for Dustin Bufflin, and when it comes, it might hit pretty hard. But I don't think that's what we're seeing here. Uh, You're right, he's not getting in on as many goals scored while he's on the ice as he has in the past. And even strength, that difference is small. On the power play, it looks bigger. If you break down what Winnipeg's done on the power play so far, nine power play goals this year, six of those have been scored while Bufflin's on the ice. He's only been in on one of those and on the scoring lines for one of those goals. And if you went by his IPP from last year or previous years, he could have been in on three or four of them. It's nothing to get worked up about. If you look at it in perspective and consider, okay, six goals on the ice, he's he's been in on one of them. He could easily have been in on two or three. And he still has double the power play time on ice as the next most guy who is Enstrom, who has one power play assist himself. And that is the entire power play production from the Winnipeg blue line this year. Enstrom with a point and Bufflin with a point. 
And then you look at his even strength play, go back to that, no goals on 42 shots. And that's actually for all situations. He's taken 42 shots this year, has not found the back of the net yet. And then you look at his career shooting percentages and see maybe he should have three goals by now. And then suddenly everything's okay, which it will be before long. You just have to trust that regression is going to work in his favor. Okay, that's good. Just, I wasn't too worried about Dustin Bufflin, but it's nice to make some Bufflin owners, myself included, feel a little better. And okay, we probably shouldn't talk about Winnipeg like every week, but it's so exciting. Like I said, Line A and Shifley just doing so well. Brian, just quick question. Like, do people sell high on these guys at this point? Like, if you have Mark Shifley, who's leading the NHL, like I said, with 20 points in 16 games, do you think like, oh, let me get uh, like a 70 plus point guy for him, which maybe you can? Or like at this point, maybe do you just ride the wave? Like, Mark Shifley is clearly like really, really good. I read something that if you go and count from the time that he took over when Little got injured last year and he jumped onto the top line, Mark Shifley's like basically led the NHL since then in points and it's continued into this season. So I'm just curious to know, and Patrick Line, I guess, is a separate question, but for both of these guys, yeah, do you think this is like sustainable production somewhat? Or do you think now like, you definitely have to sell high because there's no way they can keep these great numbers up? They're not going to win the Art Ross and the Maurice Richard trophies. I would probably only sell high for Shifley if I was getting like Ben or Sagan or somebody who's a no doubter, you know, 80 point plus Art Ross candidate in return. But if you have him, I can imagine how hard that must feel. If you're in a keeper league, definitely hang on. He's a great age. Uh, He's going to be peaking over the next few years. And we're seeing the start of that now. Really exciting player to own in fantasy. Congrats to anybody who got him, especially in like a fifth, sixth round pick spot. Because that's that's really where you win your league. Yeah, and I'm seeing something interesting in the chat here. Joey's saying he's going to try to sell his Jets due to their weak playoff schedule. So there's some insider fantasy hockey tips. Take a look. Obviously, different people have different playoff schedules. Some playoffs go to the final week and some go to the week before the final week of the season. So take a look if you're loaded with Jets and that. If you could maybe trade Shifley for, like you're saying, like a Sagan or Ben or maybe even someone a little bit less, but that's going to play like five more games or four more games. So, you know, you have to kind of look at that kind of thing. But obviously, don't go too crazy because you still have to make it to the playoffs. Right. Here's like an interesting one that just came to my mind. Godro or Shifley. Imagine if you were offered that. That would be a really tough one to take Godro, who's been slumping over Mark Shifley, even though Godro was like almost an 80 point player last year. Yeah, Gojo is starting to come on a little bit. Nine shots in his last two games. He had two goals the other night, which was very exciting. Uh, still, like, not firing on all cylinders, but he's starting to look better. Ten points in 16 games. It's not as bad as you might have thought. I think I might prefer Gojo just for the winger eligibility, if that matters for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, at this point in the year, maybe it doesn't. But yeah, so it's tough. Like, it's it really exciting to see Mark Shifley doing so well and Patrick Line as well. But okay, let's move on. Oh, yeah. I wanted to mention one more potential outjuries. Jason Spezza and Patrick Sharp will both be coming back for Dallas. And I wanted to mention them because there's been two guys who have been just fantastic lately. Patrick Eves has seven points in his last five games. And Antoine Roussel has seven points in his last five games as well. Both of these guys obviously benefiting from being on the top power play with Sagan and Jamie Benn. And also they've been on lines with those guys. So just keep in mind, definitely these guys are doing really well. And if you're playing with Sagan and Ben, you're going to do well, as we've seen from so many players on Dallas over the years. But just keep in mind that Spezza and Sharp will be back and they'll be taking spots in the top six and on that top power play, most likely. So don't like give up too much to get Eves or Roussel. 
And then I guess since I'm on Dallas, Brian, want to give a quick comment on the whole Lettinen and Niemi situation, because I know you just recently picked up Kari Lettinen and you had Niemi in your Kakafo league. It looks like now we're back. The wave goes back and forth, right? And right now it's been Lettinen getting all of the starts, including today. And Dallas lost five to four. And that is not very good. So I'm imagining that it'll be Niemi's turn now. I don't know if it's going to be Niemi's turn now. It really seems fairly random to try and figure out and decipher what the goaltending pattern is in Dallas right now. Cause sometimes the goalie has stopped playing after a good game. Sometimes they've continued playing after a bad game. So I don't really know. Like my half guess is that they set a schedule at the start of the year and they're trying to follow that as closely as possible. It certainly seems like there's a little more rhyme and reason, even if we don't understand behind these goalie decisions and there were in Philadelphia with Mason and Neuvirth both playing. So I don't know. I, I, yeah, Lennon, it's going to happen. Like he's going to have one great game and you're going to be in a really good spot in your matchup. And then he's going to have a really bad one and just take you right out of it. Same thing with Niemi. There's not a lot you can do unless you have to depend on them, which unfortunately I do. So I just picked up Lennon, not because I had any high hopes for him, but because I already had Niemi and locking up the tandem was going to save me a lot of stress. Right. At least you could get those wins, even though they're going to blow your goalie numbers. And you would have thought a game against Vancouver, that should be a good chance. But Vancouver, of course, breaks out on the game when you're depending on a Dallas goalie to finally have a good chance to do well. So let's go to some cold streaks now, Brian. I'm thinking we could end the show on a high note with some players streaking. But you know, we get more questions, I think, about guys that people want to drop more than people you want to add. Like it's almost like, you know, it's pretty obvious who's doing really well. And then I guess you could ask if it's going to be a long-term thing or just a short-term thing. But we've got so many questions about some of these guys. So let's get into them. Tyson Berry on Colorado. He has six points now in 13 games. Before his assist on Friday, he was on a five-game pointless streak. And he was even bumped off the top power play by Eric Johnson for a little bit, but it looks like he's back there. And now this is a team that, by the way, just lost Matt Duchesne, like we talked about. So they're overall probably not going to score as many goals. But Tyson Berry is the guy who's put up over a 50-point pace in the last couple of years. Should we expect less this year of this one? Is there something different about what Tyson Berry has been doing? Or has it just been bad luck when he, we should expect him to be a 50-plus point defenseman moving forward? I think you can. Everyone was so up in arms over him being off the power play. But the game before that, he had eight minutes of power play time. He did nothing with it, so that's maybe why he had to step aside for a game. But then he was right back up to nearly five minutes of power play time in Colorado's next contest. I think there were really high hopes. Everybody thought Waz's departure as coach was going to immediately help Barry so much. And it hasn't, at least visibly. It doesn't mean that Barry's failed or anything. I think you should just leave it be. I think he's going to be okay. Okay, well, unless you have this type of situation, because we had a question from a patron, Rami, asking, should he try to trade Tyson Berry for Mark Giordano? And this is another slumping defenseman, and maybe that should be the theme of today's show, because we've already talked about a couple. But Mark Giordano, only five points in 16 games. And this is a guy who's done better than Tyson Berry over the last couple of years. He had 56 points last season, a 63-point pace the year before that. But like I said, five points in 16 games so far. Still on the top power play. He's had six and four shots in each of his last two games. So he's clearly putting up shots. Obviously, last week we talked about Monaghan slumping. Is this just like part and parcel with what's going on in Calgary and a bunch of people are slumping? I guess, yeah, same question as with Tyson Berry. What do you think about Giordano? And also, who would you take between the two? Giordano's pointless in nine, 10 shots in his last two games, Elon. So like you said, the shots are still coming. Calgary does sit 19th in the league in goal scoring, which I'm fairly certain was not the case last year at this point or the year before. If anybody wants to fact check me on that, feel free. 
So Giordano's on ice shot generation numbers have really taken a bit of a dip. So while he's on the ice, there are fewer shots going towards the net. But the good news is that his own individual numbers of shot attempts and shots on goal, they look steady. He's a guy who, like Bufflin, is just not finding the back of the net, even though he's really trying as well as he has in the past. One goal on 38 shots. Last year, he shot 10% to get 21 goals on 212 shots. That was high, but even going by his career average, the hockey gods probably should have let him score one or two more by now. Like you said, the struggling offense around him doesn't really help things. I think he's going to be okay. I'm wondering if the Flames offense won't help him out quite as much as it did last year. So you might want to consider 55 as his high end rather than like the given middle range or just the starting point. Okay, and then where does that leave you in the Barry versus Giordano discussion? I'll still go with Giordano, a really great shot taker. And I don't think this is going to last long. I think he still has the higher upside of the two for this year. And Michael here in the chat room, trying to give some hope to Giordano owners. He slumped last year at the beginning of the season too. I'm looking at the splits here, five points in 12 games in October, three points in 12 games in November, and then 12 points in 13 games in December, 11 in 11 in January. So he really like got really hot after a couple bad months. I don't know how much you can count on what happened last year to happen again this year when you go to like the start of a season. I'd be interested to know, I guess we talked about it at one point, do some people start slow and heat up in a consistent way? But anyways, it happened last year and anyone who dropped him like instantly regretted it once he became like a point per game guy for December in January so hopefully that'll happen again for you Mark Giordano owners and like Brian's saying don't drop him or trade him for someone that's not worth a guy who could potentially give you like 55 60 points but anyways okay one more defenseman that's slumping and I guess you alluded to him before Brian Aaron Ekblad only two goals so far in 15 games these are droppable numbers for most players right especially like he's a guy who has a career high of 39 points he's played two seasons right that was two seasons ago in his rookie year last year only 36 points so it's not like he's a sure shot like offensive dynamo and now that he has two goals in 15 games I feel like most guys with that kind of track record you wouldn't be holding on to but of course we have high hopes for Aaron Ekblad because he was a number one over overall pick should we expect him at this point to even hit his 36 points from last season at this point or at least that pace moving forward like I said before he's still seeing top power play time but definitely not taking advantage of it like Keith Yandel who has six points in his last seven games so where does this leave Aaron Ekblad do owners hang on to him or is it like trade him away for one of these hot guys in free agency like I'd be curious to see what you think about him compared to the likes of you know, Lindholm and Truba, who we talked about before. So a lot of people have these unreasonable expectations about Aaron Ekblad as this new, young, very strong defensive defenseman. And they just think the points are going to come because he's on a really good team and he has good skating and is pretty good at moving the puck. It almost reminds me of the early days of Victor Hedman. A lot of people forget that when Hedman broke into the league, his rookie season, 20 points in 74 games. But of course, he was really young. Uh, 26 points in 79 games the next year. So Ekblad actually beat him out in that part of his career. And then even in his third year, Hedman was on like a 35, 40 point pace into his fourth year also. So like, if you look at that, that's sort of how I'm wondering if it's going to go with Aaron Ekblad while the Panthers build and pick up all the pieces that they need. Ekblad is going to be a strong defensive player. I don't know that he's going to be the strongest offensive player right out the gate. I, I tell everyone on the patron group every time his name is brought up, you're hoping for 40 from him, not expecting it. But even this is a really long way from that. This is just futility. And he's been getting more power play time on ice this year, which should have helped avoid this situation. The good news is that his even strength on ice shooting percentage is below 1%. Now, I frame that as good news 
because, well, it's really awful that that's happening to him, but it also means that something is definitely just not going in his favor. Like for every 100 shots taken while he's on the ice, he's seen less than one of them go in. And we're talking even strength only. So think about how long that takes to see 100 even strength shots on goal. You're maybe looking at five games to see that many. And in that span, the poor guy can't even expect one to beat the goalie. This is beyond low. So it's a real shame that it's been this way, but is in a weird way reassuring that everything will be okay in the end. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying it's been a lot of bad luck. Like if you were expecting more than 40 points or maybe even like 35 plus as a floor, then maybe you were hoping for too much. But if you're expecting them to have between like 30 and, and 40, maybe closer to 35, then maybe you should still continue to expect that moving forward as his pace once the averages even out. Dave in the chat room is just saying, cut him, Dropsville, add Severson instead. That would actually be an interesting question, but I won't even ask you that, Brian. It's not at all an interesting question. I think Dave knows that's ridiculous. Ekblad over Severson, 100%. Don't look back. Oh, I don't don't know. I don't know about that. (laughs) I think it's a lot closer than you think. If you're saying that Ekblad is like a 35-point guy, is Severson, what, like a 25-point guy? He's been doing really well. Maybe he slowed down a little bit last week, but he's on the top power play with Taylor Hall, and he's been the one producing so far this season. Generating less offense than Ekblad is. Okay, let's go to some forwards. This one is going to maybe hurt some Leafs fans listening. Maybe I'm going to get flamed right now, but... Austin Matthews, Brian, only has two points in his last nine games. And he's still tied with Mitch Marner and Nylander. Or I should say Nylander because people get mad when we say Nylander. He's tied with Marner and Nylander for the team lead with 12 points in 15 games. But that number is pretty deceptive at this point. If you see Austin Matthews 12 points in 15 games, that is not representative of how he's been lately. Of course, we all remember his amazing four-goal game to start the year and his amazing start overall. So he has 32 shots on goal in these last nine games where I'm saying he's only had two points, which is good, right? Over three shots a game. But it can't help him that he's been playing on a line with Zach Hyman and Connor Brown. Ugh, that's like, I was annoyed about the type of line mates that Kadri was getting, but Matthews is getting even worse. He's still getting over 50% of power play time, though, most nights. And Brian, I want to give you some credit because after his amazing first week when we did that first episode of the regular season, you said that you still saw Austin Matthews as like a 45, 50 point guy on the year, which was your prediction going into the season. And maybe that made you look like, ugh, conservative, Brian. But Seems like now, you know, probably two points in nine games is too little. But also, I think that around a 45, 50 pace seems realistic to me. So are you still seeing him there moving forward? Like after all of this up and down, are you still where you were going into the season for your projection for Austin Matthews moving forward? Well, what do you expect me to lower it now? I don't know. You might lower it or you might say, oh, no, the shots on goal actually indicate that he's so much better. I think I think he's doing OK. I'd still have him for about 50 points. Zach Hyman is not as no name a guy as you think. Like he's been pretty good in his limited time with the Leafs. And I think uh, I feel like they're all trying new things. The lines are juggled fairly regularly. So I'm not really concerned about Austin Matthews and where he ends up in the lineup. He's also going to be able to hold his own regardless of who he plays with. Maybe the rest of the league is taking him a little more seriously after that hot start. But I still think it's reasonable to expect a 50-point pace. Right. But definitely anyone who was able to sell high like in a one-year league after that amazing first week, they're probably feeling pretty good right now if you were able to get you know, a solid like 70-point guy for him. Because a lot of people you know, had high hopes like that. Obviously, when you score four goals in your first game of the NHL. But Brian, I think that's a very good point about other teams now kind of are learning how to play against them. They have more tape to watch. I don't actually know what goes on behind the scenes for teams preparing to play against other teams. But I'd imagine they're doing some research into players and how they play. That's what I would do, I guess. Okay. By the way, really, this chat room is 
is on fire today. So I, you're right now making a bet with Dave of Ekblad versus David Severson, and David saying Ekblad is Ek bad. That might be a good show title, Brian. Put that put that down as a potential. I like that. But I guess you wouldn't want to put that there because you disagree with it. If only we could somehow tie in Joel Erickson Ek to the whole situation. <laughs> Let's go to Ottawa. You know, we're, we're sticking in Ontario right now. We talked about some struggling Leafs or one struggling Leaf. Somewhat struggling because those shots on goal are really good. Let's talk about some struggling Sens. How about all of them? Like aside from Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, Kyle Turris, Bobby Ryan, Derek Broussard, Mike Hoffman. All of these guys are players we've been asked about over the last couple of weeks of whether they should be dropped for other hot options. You know, like I've seen Nikolai Ehlers being brought up compared to like all of these guys. Should I drop this guy for Ehlers? And Ehlers, by the way, obviously has been doing amazing playing on a line with the NHL's leading scorer and leading point getter right now. So definitely if Ehlers is a free agent in your league, you need to grab him. But is the guy you drop one of these senators? In the last seven games, nobody on the Sens, aside from Eric Carlson, has over half point per game pace. And I picked over the last seven games just because that's the last 14 days. And that was an easy filter to use on Fantrax. But in that time of seven games, Mike Hoffman has three goals and no assists. Turris has three points, two goals and an assist. Bobby Ryan, two goals, no assists. Broussard, just one measly assist. Mark Stone, just one measly goal. So like I said, Brian, we've had questions. People wanted to drop all of these guys. I know this is probably annoying for you, but of this group, are any of them worth dropping at this point? And maybe of this group, is one of them, you know, better than the rest? And someone you'd say, without a doubt, for sure, you want to hold on to for the season, no matter what. Full disclosure, I had Kyle Turris in the league that we're in together, Brian, and I dropped him at the start of this week for Cal Clutterbuck because I decided I want to take this hits category. I keep losing in hits, and Clutterbuck was playing on the top line and also just getting those hits even if he doesn't give me points. So I dropped Turris for him. No one picked him up, and this is not a super shallow league, yourself included. So, yeah, what do you think about all of these slumping sends? First off, let's point out how amazing it is that in the midst of all this, Eric Carlson is still producing 12 points in 14 games. That's not counting today's game if he got a point. On the lone goal that I think Ottawa scored, it was tied 1-1 the last time I checked before we started recording. If there's one guy that I definitely want, it's probably Mark Stone. The only reason there's a bit of a question mark at the end of that is because Mike Hoffman is at least going to get you shots. He's averaging almost four shots per game, and he's only scored three times in 14 games. I don't think that's a reflection of his lack of skill. I think he's going to get there. The sense power play is having trouble right now too. That's the thing that they also really wanted to fix after last year. They thought that would solve all their problems. So they dedicated apparently a lot of resources doing it and it hasn't gone anywhere. But if you're looking for an even more steady measure of success, you look at their even strength shooting percentage, 28th in the league. And they're 27th in the league in power play shooting percentage. So that is bad news for everybody. The good news is that the team is not that low in expected goals. They're more in the middle of the pack. So that means they're still getting shots from decent places. They're getting quality chances. Just nothing's really happening. Nothing's coming of it all. But we can expect that it will. Okay. So, you know, Mark Stone is the one probably that we've been asked about the most as a drop. Maybe Broussard hasn't even been mentioned a lot because maybe people have already dropped him. But Mark Stone, yeah, he was so good before. But again, another game today, another no shots, no points, minus two, but, you know, decent minutes. By the way, Eric Carlson did get an assist today, Brian, on Kyle Turris's goal. So you were right about that. But yeah, like it's getting hard to be a Mark Stone owner. But okay. Like you're saying, I guess we have to kind of wait and see. Hopefully the team overall will be able to score. Here's one. Actually, here this. I want to answer this question because I want to also address something in this question. In the chat room, Michael is asking, Evander Kane for Hoffman in a banger league. And before I answer that, 
this phrase has really come out of nowhere in our patron-only Facebook group. Everyone says banger league, I guess to refer to a league that counts hits. Like, what happened to just calling it a multi-cat league? Like a standard categories league. Like, this term banger league, I guess that also means pims or something. I don't know. I, I find the term kind of annoying, and I obviously <laughs> don't want to, like, disparage the amazing patrons of Keeping Carlson, who we appreciate so much. And to find out the perks of becoming a patron, you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information. But that term, I don't know, for some reason, it's like it's not a banger league, right? You still have goals and assists. Like, points are probably still worth more than hits, right? Anyway, all that to say. I would rather participate in a bangers and mash league. All right. So Evander Kane versus Mike Hoffman right now. Brian, who are you taking? In a banger league? Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. Like, this is like an apples and oranges thing. I guess Evander Kane, though, does take the shots that Hoffman also takes. Maybe not quite as many, but... He gets hits as well. So I, I guess maybe there's a bit more multi-category potential there, except I think Hoffman's going to end up with more goals and points on the air. Michael's saying, by the way, in the chat, his banger league is no goals, no assists, just pins, blocks, and hits. <laughs> that sounds like a fun league. It actually does. We should try drafting one of those sometime. There was a patron who created a league of only right wingers. Remember that? I don't know. It's like some, you can make some weird leagues in like uh, these different platforms. Okay. Speaking of Ottawa, you know what? They're not scoring any goals. But they're still winning a lot of games. And the reason is because of these goaltenders of theirs. They've been fantastic. So we didn't actually mention it last week, but the Sens traded a draft pick to Pittsburgh to get Mike Condon because they didn't need Condon. So they had Matt Murray coming back and we'll talk about him in a second. But Andrew Hammond is injured. So they've got a tandem of Anderson and Condon going. And Anderson, as a lot of you probably know, has been having to leave a couple of times for personal issues. But like when he's been playing, he's been so amazing. He's up to seven wins in 10 games played, a 931 save percentage. And even Mike Condon, who was so bad last year in Montreal after like a pretty decent start, but then totally flamed out. Maybe he's good when he only plays once in a while. He's played two games so far. One of them was a shutout. One was only one goal again. So this Ottawa goalie tandem, and I mean, maybe, obviously I don't want to call it a tandem. Like Craig Anderson specifically has just been amazing. Do you think Anderson could keep this up? Like, is there some magic in the air for Craig Anderson this season? Or is he like overperforming by a lot? I think he's overperforming, and so is Mike Condon. They're going to come down to earth sooner or later. We were talking about the lousy shooting percentage for the Sens. They're like bottom well, three in the league in that, but they are in the top 10 or 11 in save percentage. And they just need to hope that that save percentage can hold for as long as it takes them to work themselves out of the hole they're in in shooting percentage. Okay, and one other cold streak I wanted to mention, Milan Lucic, only one goal and one assist in the last seven games. And we talked about last week how he's been bumped from the line, the Connor McDavid line with him in Eberly by Pat Maroon, who's been great. Four goals and two assists in his last five games played. Lucic still playing on the top power play. We've already gotten a question. I think it was on our Facebook group or on Twitter asking if the person should swap Lucic for Maroon straight up. Would you do this swap, Brian? You know, you're betting on whether Maroon or Lucic is going to play more often with Connor McDavid. And the truth is, I don't know the answer to that. I would, I don't know. I don't know. You might want to assume that Edmonton wants to put their money where their mouth is and be like, you know, we committed this much to Lucic, so we're going to make sure he looks good. On the other hand, they might sincerely think that he can hold another line together and really help guys like Dreisaitl or whoever else he's going to play with out of their own scoring doldrums. An interesting thing to note, Milan Lucic, his individual rate stats in terms of shots and shot attempts have held pretty steady from the last couple of years. But that last season in LA, surprisingly, his on-ice rate stats were way up. So that's not really something you expect for somebody in LA, but I guess that's how it worked for Lucic. It has no bearing, 
by the way, on his numbers for this year. Just an interesting little factoid. Yeah, like Lucic, like I said, still on the top power play and still getting you your hits if you're in a banger league. So I don't know if I'd be dropping Lucic or swapping Lucic for Maroon right now, but Maroon's been great. And if he stays on that line, I think he's going to keep doing great. So definitely if he's a free agent in your league, you might want to be looking to add him before it's too late. Okay, Brian, enough of these cold streaks. Let's go to some hot streaks. Let's talk about the guys who you might want to be dropping all these guys for. We, you know, teased it for a while, talking about some of these defensemen. So I'm going to mention them now. So first, Brady Shea, S-K-J-E-I. Before yesterday's 4-1 to win against Calgary, Shea had a six-game point streak, up to nine assists in 15 games on the season now. He's also been seeing around 30% of his team's power play time on the second unit. Obviously, Ryan McDonough's on the first unit, so not insignificant power play time. Of course, we've been talking, though, about Rangers and how they've been scoring a lot of goals, and maybe we don't expect that to keep up so much. But at the same time, like he seems to have jumped like number two in the depth chart, at least for offense. And honestly, I didn't even know this person existed going into the season. And also, I did. I feel like there was a Twitter question at some point, and someone asked, like, listed a whole bunch of guys of whether they should pick up one of those guys. It was like a couple of weeks ago. One of them was Shea, and I like legit had to be like, "Who is this person? I have no idea who you're even asking about." Obviously, now I know who he is. Brian, tell the listeners who is Brady Shea, and is this production sustainable or fleeting? I'm glad you spelled out his name, Elon, so that everybody who wants to go add him after this show can find him instead of just furiously typing in Shay, S-H-A-Y or whatever. Uh, he was a first round pick of the Rangers back in 2012. He's 22 years old at Lakeville, Minnesota, left shooting defenseman and has had success so far this year on the blue line. One point behind Ryan McDonough for point scoring lead amongst all New York Rangers blue liners, although that's not a very elite offensive or even defensive group. Uh, He's a big guy who can play both ways, move the puck well, and he's stepping into that huge vacuum that exists for blue line offense. So good for him. Um, His percentages are high, but I'm putting my cynicism aside here just for the moment because I see opportunity for him if he can grab it increasing time on ice, some extra power play minutes scattered through his game sheets. Maybe he's somebody who can be more offensive than the rest of the very much non-offensive Rangers defensemen. He had a near half point per game pace in the AHL last year, which isn't a huge deal. I guess it's worth something. So if you're interested in Shea, you already own him. I'm willing to give him another week or two and see what happens. There's so many goals coming on the Rangers right now. And actually, a little plug for Jack Hahn, at ML underscore H-A-N on Twitter, who releases these little one-minute tactic videos, uh, which are very handy for breaking down how exactly a team is accomplishing things. Just put one out about how the Rangers are creating offense. I'll let you watch it instead of me trying to explain it with no visuals. Go check it out at ML underscore Han. Anyway, if they can keep doing that, Shay can hopefully keep getting in on that semi-regularly. Yeah, so he's the type of guy that people are probably wondering about if they should be dropping a Hampus Lindholm or a Truba for. So let me give you another name that has popped into my radar, Anthony D'Angelo, who is a prospect on Arizona. I guess he was called up when, I guess, Michael Stone got injured, and he's played three games so far and has one goal, one assist, four shots on goal, a power play assist yesterday. He's actually been on the top power play with Oliver ekman Larson, even with Michael Stone back in the lineup. He not only wasn't sent back to the minors, but he was stayed on the top power play. At this point, Brian, I guess, first of all, again, just like Brady Shea, like who is Anthony D'Angelo? Is this someone that people should know about if they're into prospects and he's someone that we were expecting offense from once he'd make it to the team? And also, do we think he's going to stay on the team? And also, like, how surprised are you that he's bumping Michael Stone and Alex Goligoski from that top power play? 
Anthony D'Angelo is a right shooting defenseman, picked 19th overall in 2014 by the Tampa Bay Lightning, and uh, had a pretty successful first pro year with Tampa's AHL affiliate, the Syracuse Crunch, 43 points in 69 games, which is pretty nice for a defenseman. Seven points in eight games for the Tucson Roadrunners this year before being called up to the big leagues over at Elite Prospects. Anthony D'Angelo's profile reads he's a puck-rushing offensive defenseman with flair and potential to contribute to the penalty column, uh, but they need to update that page because he's not with Tampa Bay anymore. So a little note to Peter and the rest of the Dauber Prospects crew. Um, but the pedigree is there for him to be good. And like you said, Elon, a very nice start, not just in what he was able to manage two points in three games, but the way in which he was being deployed. He was playing with Oliver ekman Larson in the top four. Uh, he had the fourth most power play time on ice amongst all Coyotes in the three games he's played, forwards and defensemen. And yeah, as long as he's up there, it eats into both Stone and Goligoski's potential. The question is, how long will he be up there? Because right now, by my count, Chris Pronger is the only injured Coyotes defenseman. They have eight healthy guys on the roster at the moment, so I don't know what they're going to do. And a little side note, Elon Jordan Marginuk, seeing the third most power play time on ice over the last three games for the Coyotes. He has three points in his last three games, one of those coming as a power play goal, but not a lot of shots, still uh, not fantasy relevant, I'd say. He has eight points in 14 games, but five goals on 22 shots, which will not sustain. So yeah, I tweeted at a beat writer for the Coyotes, Sarah McClellan, asking any sense of if D'Angelo will get sent down sooner if we can expect him to stick around. No response yet. So I don't know. I guess we don't have the clout of the Keeping Carlson Twitter account isn't enough to get an immediate response from an Arizona Coyotes beat writer. But if we find out, maybe we'll we'll retweet her reply and we'll let you guys know if we think that D'Angelo is going to even stick around with the team. But definitely someone interesting if, you know, he sticks around, especially if he's getting this power play time. One more defenseman, Brian, before we get to some hot goalies. Let's throw in, I guess, not a young guy, not a new guy into the league, but I want to mention Michael Delzato. He's back. I guess this could have been an outjury from a few weeks ago because he missed a lot of time at the start of the year, but he's played four games, one goal, two assists, eight shots on goal, 20 hits, seven blocks in four games. So he's been amazing for offense. He's basically been like Gudas, but like Gudas who gets even maybe more points, no power play time. But I, if I recall, he's been good at getting even strength points in the past. Like there have been short little runs where I recall Michael Delzato being someone we got excited about. I think going into the season a couple of years ago, we were saying that he's a guy that you might want to draft and potentially depend on for some points. But if the points aren't sustainable, like how about these hits? Like I, has he ever put up hits like this? Like, yeah, so Brian, I guess if we're adding to a list of potential defensemen that you're going to drop Lindholm or Truba or whoever for, does Michael Delzato belong on this list? I'm going to go with no. He's probably the guy I'm least interested in. And yes, I know that the peripherals are there right now, but he's never been someone to have more than like a couple hits a game back. Yeah, I don't know. I guess more recently, he's been more likely to get two or three versus before then when it was more like one or two. So I suppose it's there, but 20 over four games, not going to repeat. And you also yelled seven blocks. But that doesn't mean that it's impressive over four <laughs> games. So he's really just a hits guy, only eight shots, two secondary assists amongst the points that he has collected. It's very nice that he gets to play with uh, Shane Ghostis there. So that's great for him as long as that lasts. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm not rushing to grab him for any real offensive potential. Maybe like a nice cycle guy for as long as he's doing this, especially in a hits league. But I'm not about to put a ton of faith in him, to be honest. Of the three guys we've talked about, He's the one that intrigues me the least, so I rank him the lowest, I guess. We've seen little spurts from him, and then it dies down. 
we still have yet to see exactly what D'Angelo and Shea can do. Of course, whatever happens with D'Angelo hinges a lot on whether or not he stays up with the team. Yeah, well, Delzato maybe has the highest floor, but the lowest ceiling. Kind of sounds like what you're saying. Like, I could see Delzato putting up, like, a 30-point pace, which is kind of reasonable for your bottom defenseman in your league. And if he could give you these peripherals, you know, seven blocks in four games, it's not negligible, right? Two blocks a game is pretty decent. It's a lot better than a lot of defensemen in the league who put up points that we have on our rosters. So, anyway, Delzato, got it. had to mention him. Let's go to some goalies. We've already talked about Anderson and Condon, who have been great. We have to mention, though, Matt Murray. I brought him up before. He's played four games now in a row. Four wins, a 961 save percentage. Meanwhile, Marc-Andre Fleury just sitting on the bench, doing nothing. He wasn't even doing that great before. We warned about this last episode. But I know, Brian, at the beginning of the year, you know, you thought that Fleury would be the one that was going to be the starter. But at this point, it really seems like Matt Murray is, he's taking the job. And I think he's the starter now on Pittsburgh. Or am I wrong? And like, what should Fleury owners do at this point? Well, let's not be too quick to anoint a starter in Pittsburgh. Four good games is lovely. So good for Matt Murray. And I think that's what I said last time when he had two good games. Uh, I'm going to be reluctant to name him the starter. Flurry came out strong out of the gate, had two very good games, and then two not-so-good games. So uh, I don't know. This is a hard one. I think if you're a Flurry owner, I'm a Flurry owner. I think you need to stay patient Uh, You're in a tough spot if you're really relying on him for starts. And maybe it is worth your while to check out some other goaltending options. But I'm not calling the goaltending race for number one over yet. You know, you say like four good games as as if that's it, right? Like you do recall a Stanley Cup run where Matt Murray had a couple of good games there. Yeah, Ken Ward did that too. Oh, God. All right. (laughs) I would love to make a bet board bet with you right now that Matt Murray is going to be a lot more viable in fantasy this season moving forward than Marc-Andre Fleury. Let let me know if you're interested in that. I don't think you are. I I think that you're Age plays a large factor in that. And right now it seems as though the Penguins might want to continue having Murray on their team, whereas Fleury could end up with some rebuilding team. So I'm not going to take that bet. Yeah, I think the Penguins might want to stick with the goalie who has a 961 save percentage and help them win a Stanley Cup. But okay, here's a goalie. The other side of it, now we have a Pecorine who we didn't expect anything from. He has quietly a 930 save percentage on the season. What happened? Like, why were we so wrong about him? We thought that he was barely going to be a league average goalie this year. He's been phenomenal. So we went to great lengths this offseason to explain why he's not that career 925 goalie that everybody hoped he'd be in in some cases, still thought he'd be. But we also, in the same breath, always said that a fantastic year from him wasn't something that was out of the question. And that's what we're getting with a 930 save percentage so far. That sounded all like a sneaky way to say that, hey, we were right all along. But really, I'm just trying to say that we were hard on him, but we never wrote off the chance that he could have a hot start or a hot streak. It'll be interesting to see if he can keep this up for the whole season or even like if he does another season after that, because I still see him as like a league average goalie at best until there's more proof that he can play at this level. But we need to give him amazing credit for what he's done. He's been single-handedly saving his team as they work through a glut of offensive and defensive issues. The Preds have won six games this year, aside from the win that was on opening night where he had an average save percentage Rene has had a 958 save percentage or better in each of those five other wins. And he's even been fantastic in losses and games that have gone to a shootout. You know, what more can he do when he puts up a 950 or 960 only to get the shootout loss 
He's had a quality start in three out of every four starts he's had this year. Just a wonderful story for Pecorini. If only the team in front of him could figure it out. Well, they did in their last game. They won 5 nothing against Anaheim. And by the way, John Gibson, not a great season for him so far. But anyway, yeah, Pecorine has been good. And maybe the offense is starting to get going. Like guys like Neil and Forsberg are starting to put some points up. So it could continue to get better, even if Rene slows down. Like he's probably not going to have a 930 save percentage at the end of the year. But hopefully he'll still be able to get these wins and more wins because Nashville's finally remembering how to score. Wanted to mention Marek Mazanik got sent down to the minors. Who knows how long that will last. But they called up UC Saros, who had one game so far this year. And it was a great game. A 5-1 win against Pittsburgh, where he had a 971 save percentage. So definitely someone to watch for a spot start when they decide to rest Rene. But I don't think Saros is a guy who's going to be stealing the job anytime soon. Well, no, not with these performances from Rene. And I think even not without these performances from Rene. I feel like there was a bit of a need for a shakeup in Nashville. They wanted to do something that would jar the players or just mix things up and remind players that they're lucky to be where they are. And I think uh, Mizanic was a casualty of that. But Saros is definitely worth keeping an eye on if you're in a keeper league or whatever. Uh, Definitely the goalie of the future right now in Nashville. And just before we move on, Elon... Speaking of goalies that we might have written off at some point, Peter Budai, just a few weeks ago, I said, ah, he's on LA, so that helps, but he's not going to be any good. He was pretty good for a while. He's riding high at a wave of good games, punctuated by back-to-back shutouts against Calgary and Toronto for what those are worth. Then he had a bad game against Montreal. Then another poor effort, although he did come in cold after Jeff Zatkoff got injured. Everything he's done has amounted to a 9-12 save percentage, 54.5% quality starts. Much better and more valuable than I thought. So I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, Jack Campbell has now been called up for Zatkoff. So keep an eye out for him. Uh, don't get your hopes too high. But I would just, I want to see, I want to see a game with Jack Campbell in net or two. Just to see what we've got. Yeah, we already talked about this before when Zatkoff got injured and we said maybe Jack Campbell would get a game or two and we were curious to see and he didn't. Peter Budai has been fine. He's held the job. He's really quieted all the rumors that maybe Pavlik would get traded or someone else get traded. It looks like they're just going to ride Budai until hopefully Jonathan Quick comes back soon. But yeah, like not fantastic, but not horrible, like you say, but it would be interesting to see what Jack Campbell would do. I would probably prefer a UC Saros spot start to a Jack Campbell spot start if they're both going to play on the same day. That would be a fun day in fantasy, and it would be fun to see how many bids each would get in a league that uses the free agent acquisition budget system. Okay, Brian, a couple of forwards now on hot streaks. A couple older guys, Eric Stahl. Okay, at what point can we trust that his production is for real and he's back to being like the reliable 60-plus point scorer that he was for so many years? Like, we really just decided... Ugh, like this guy is like not as good anymore. Maybe he could give us 50 points, but he's been so good this year with his goal and two assists versus Pittsburgh earlier in the week. And then one assist yesterday versus Philly. Then another assist today against Ottawa. He's up to 13 points in 14 games on this season, which is amazing. Like what? No one could have expected that he was going to be this good. Or maybe I think there is a patron. Actually, someone brought up a question from a long time ago that someone asked at the beginning of the year, how they ranked like guys like Stahl and tourists. We all had tourists above Stahl. We're all feeling maybe a little dumb now. I don't know. But yeah, so and Zach Parise has been injured and that hasn't slowed Eric Stahl down at all. And now Parise is going to be coming back soon. But lately, Stahl has been playing with Niederreiter and Coyle. And like I said, we're going to expect this shake up soon. He's 75% owned on Fantrax, but only 36% owned on Yahoo. I don't know what that says about users of those two platforms, but if you're on Yahoo, then there's a good chance that Eric Stahl is available in your league. Brian, he's available as a free agent in our joint league. I've wanted to add him forever, but just there hasn't really been a day. Like because of Minnesota's schedule, there's never been a good 
day or two where he was going to be able to crack our lineup unless we sat someone else. Like he's never playing on those off days, but have we been crazy not to add him? Like, do we need to add him soon before it's too late? Maybe, maybe. I'm so happy with what's happening to him right now. Like his career was not over. Just things were not going well in Carolina as they go for anybody who wants to score a goal every so often. An interesting thing in his numbers is shooting attempts this year actually down by a fair bit from last year and actually a fair deal lower than anything he's had in the last several years. But the number of shots on target has improved from last year in terms of his shots on goal per 60 rate stats. Another place where he's up in rate stats is in straight up points per 60 minutes. He is essentially doubling his points per 60 minutes totals from last year and beating actually really any points per 60 total he's had in the last, well, since 2007, say for the lockout shortened year. And the interesting part is he's still seeing about 19 and a half minutes per game. So it's not like he's just playing 16 minutes and in a really specialized role and scoring there. No, he's still playing like within, I don't know, 30 to 90 seconds of his averages in his best years. So I'm really excited to see that happening to him. I just, I think it's all nice. Okay. (laughs) I'm happy for Eric Stahl. Yeah, but for the, do you think that, okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm happy for anybody who owns him. I've actually had uh, Jay in my Cupful League offering him to me. Actually, he was jokingly offering him to me for like the first two weeks, every time Eric Stahl scored. And then he's gone silent since then. So I'm not sure Eric Stahl is still on the table. Yeah, maybe you made a mistake not getting him. And like, it's looking good, right? He's the top center like we didn't know if it was gonna be him or koivu it seems like it's stall he's on the top power play he's gonna get back with parise soon like obviously he's gonna slow down but i think 60 points is like a very reasonable expectation at this point another guy who's like an older player that's having a really nice year is travis zajak on new jersey quietly up to 10 points in 14 games on the year that's a 59 point pace he's been on the top line with parento and hall also on the top power play we all expected adam henrique to be the big benefactor of taylor hall coming to new jersey but no it's been zajac he's 31 years old his career high is 67 points but that's way back in 2009-10 when he was playing with the likes of zach parise who now eric stalls with this is a different zach parise that we're talking about but anyways it's like with taylor hall maybe that's a comparable old Zach Parise and current Taylor Hall. Anyway, he only had 47 points last season. He had a 47-point pace last season, 48 points the year before, which actually, you know what? It's not even that bad. Like, for a guy who's gone pretty much unheralded, like someone who is always a free agent in any league that I'm in, like, he's been pretty decent. A 45- to 50-point floor isn't bad, and it seems like this season, maybe he has upside for a little more since he's on the top line and top power play. Should we expect him at this point to beat his point totals from last year, his 47 or 48 points, since now he's playing with Taylor Hall and is getting this good power play time? Well, first off, let's talk about how great it is to play with Taylor Hall. We had a lot of people doubting Hall's abilities this offseason, as actually happens every offseason, regardless of whether he is traded or retained by the Edmonton Oilers. 12 points in 14 games. You might be a little sad to realize he has no goals in eight straight But in that same span, he has six assists and had an eight-shot game and two six-shot games. So he has five goals on 60 shots this year. Very healthy numbers. He got a bunch to start the year. It's It's all good. It's all good with Taylor Hall, which means that it is all good for Travis Zajac. His numbers look really healthy. He has so many more shot attempts than ever before. If you look back, you have to go all the way back to 2008, 2009, or 2009, 2010, when he was playing with Parisi and Jamie Langenbrunner. Those are the closest examples. 
we've ever had for the sort of rate stats we're seeing from Travis Ajak. And I'm not just going to say rate stats. I'm going to give you the numbers. You might not appreciate it if you don't look them up that often, but he's jumped from 25 shots on goal for 60 minutes in the last two years all the way up to 40 shots on goal per 60 minutes. And that is not a normal jump. Like sometimes you move up like a shot or two or like a big jump, maybe three. Uh, Jumping 15 shots per 60 minutes, ridiculous. It's thanks to the greater line mates he has, the greater deployment he's getting. Uh, He's a legit own right now. Wow. So will it really bug you if I ask you who you'd want more between Zajac and Eric Stahl right now? It won't bug me. Uh, as happy as I am for Eric Stahl's season out of Carolina and in Minnesota, I think I'm a little more worked up, excited, happy about Travis Zajac right now. I guess the thing with Stahl is that he's probably going to stay wherever he is in a position to keep producing. Zajac, it's a pretty big fall if he's no longer playing with Hall anymore. And I didn't mean to rhyme there. Like if Henrique is ever put back up with Taylor Hall, and Zajac has to play with Camilleri, who's out for personal reasons right now. So whoever else is there, Jacob Josephson, ah, Devontae Smith, Pally, Lee Stemniak, or who's on Carolina. <laughs> anyway, you get the, you get my drift. I think Zajac's position may be a little more fragile than Stahl's. Yeah, when you said Zajac there, I was thinking like Michaela, like what? But there's a, there's a survivor reference. Someone on Twitter asked me to make a survivor reference this episode. So there it is. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Brian, we have Zajac. We picked him up for a spot start in our joint league. And I was assuming we're just going to drop him now, but we're going to have to talk. Okay. One more hot streak guy. This is a guy, I I have a snoozer section for the end of this episode. We've gone pretty long. I have a couple of snoozers. I was going to put this guy in there, Robbie Fabri, because he was healthy scratched a couple of days ago, but then he came back to play yesterday against Columbus and he got right onto the line with Vladimir Tarasenko and Yori Laterra and also on the top power play with those guys along with David Perron. Ended up with two power play goals yesterday in the 8-4 loss to Columbus. By the way, David Perron, three power play assists. Tarasenko, of course, was amazing. One power play goal, three power play assists. If Robbie Fabri has been dropped in your league after being healthy scratch and not doing much this season, should he be added now that he's back on a good line and back on the top power play? We had high hopes for him going into the year and obviously playing with Tarasenko is great. But obviously the other thing is how long will it last? St. Louis has been switching around the lines so, so much. Okay, as far as Fabry goes, as Captain Spock once said, one game against the Columbus Blue Jackets does not a hot streak make. Mm. St. Louis has similar shooting percentages to Ottawa, and everybody is struggling because of it. Uh, You know, teams at the bottom of that list, they may deserve to be there. If you look at St. Louis's company, and the reason why everybody, like, you know, we're just talking Fabry right now, but the whole Blues would look good if any of them put up a couple points in a couple games. Nobody's doing anything. And if you look at the other teams struggling in shooting percentage, you have Buffalo, New Jersey, Colorado, Vancouver. So maybe there is some merit to being at the bottom of the list. But first off, they're all too low for likely all of those teams. Like all their shooting percentages are too low. And the Blues are differentiated from those teams because they unquestionably have more talent. Uh, Keep in mind that the Blues, they're trying to do new stuff with Mike Yeo in a transition-like kind of year. So maybe that's why there's been these sort of growing pains at a time when you wouldn't expect them to happen. I guess you could keep expecting the lines to keep being shuffled, especially while the offense is down. But I don't think that's going to be like a specific solution to the problem. You're right that Fabry needs to be hopefully in the top six to be able to keep producing And if you look on the bright side for the whole team, anyone in the top six should be able to produce more than they have been. If you look at their expected goals again, like I did for Ottawa, St. Louis is actually 
fifth in the league in expected goals per 60 minutes. And actually expected goals is a better predictor of future goals than shooting percentage. So you can put your faith in that. The Blues are really just kind of getting screwed here. Everyone is going to be good there soon enough, including Fabry. He'll be back to hopefully the 50-point-ish guy, depending on his deployment. A lot of great buy-low opportunities right now in St. Louis, if you ask me. Yeah, well, you know, I mentioned those guys in the top power play right now, like Fabry, Tarasenko, Latera, and Perron. That leaves out Jaden Schwartz and Alex Steen. And Paul Stasny, maybe, I don't know about him. We've already talked with him as maybe a snoozer, but I feel like Steen and Schwartz, maybe good buy-low opportunities right now. They've been on a line together with Patrick Berglund, but I'm sure that's going to change again. Probably one of them is going to get back with Tarasenko soon enough. Tarasenko is obviously the, the best guy to be with. He's like the star on the team. And all these other guys, though, should still be good. But yeah, a lot of people have been disappointed, especially in Alex Steen, actually. But Jaden Schwartz as well. Okay, Brian, let's end the show with a couple of snoozers. These aren't cold streak guys. These are guys that it's like if you still have them on your roster, you've really got to take a look and be like, why? 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 Why do I have this guy on my roster? So but let's start with Richard Panic. I know why you have him on your roster. It's because he had an amazing start to the year. He was playing with Patrick Kane at some point. Things were looking great. But okay, he's got zero points in his last five games. He's out of the top six. He was bumped to line four today. And by the way, the top six in Chicago as it currently stands, we've been seeing Kane, Taves, and Ryan Hartman. And then Anisima, Panarin, and Hosa. Don't rush to grab Hartman. I'm sure he'll get bumped away. Schmaltz was also there recently. But anyway, Richard Panic isn't there doesn't interest me in the least. No, totally not. If you want maybe a few hits, maybe he can still get you those. But uh, I think it might be a while, or at least it's never a sure thing that he's going to get as long a look in the top six as he did to start the year. He is a big time. He's the definition of a snoozer. Somebody you have in your lineup who you've just like forgotten about. You trusted them to produce, and then you forgot to check their stats for like the last week or two and realize they are just wasting space on your team. Let them go. Okay, and then Brian, this one, this one's crazy, and I don't even know. I just want to say it just for the clicks on the internet. You know, I just want to spread some controversy. But would I be crazy to say Evgeny Kuznetsov right here? Like now, I'm talking about in a shallow league, like not one of these super deep leagues, but in a league where let's say it's like eight people and you're, you know, pretty decent options. You know, Eric Stahl is available in free agency. Kuznetsov has been playing with. Wilson and Johansson he's off the top power play so not great line mates not on the power play he has seven points in 14 games on the year for the record he scored Washington's only goal against Carolina yesterday but you know whatever just one goal if you're in a shallow league am I crazy to think that I'd rather have Eric Stahl or I guess I guess I gotta throw in Zajac there since you said you like Zajac maybe potentially better than Stahl but like I feel like Kuznetsov is among those guys and to be honest Eric Stahl is producing and is on the top line it's top power play Kuznetsov not producing not on the top power play, and not with great line mates. I think you might be taking that a little bit far. You know, we saw Kuznetsov succeed all year last year without being on the top line or on the top power play, or actually scratch that. He was on the top power play for a fair bit of time. 25 power play points last year. None so far this year, which is a concern. Uh, Seven points in 14 games, also a concern. The fact that he only has 20 shots, also a concern compared to last year where he was averaging two, almost two and a half per game. So if you were really relying on Evgeny Kuznetsov to repeat a 77 point season or build upon it, I feel like we're officially in trouble because his on shooting percentage is actually a little higher than it should be. And his personal shooting percentage is just right. Uh, being taken off that power play is a big deal. I'm not sure if it's going to be the case all year. I definitely don't think you should drop him, though. That's not something you need to 
go into. Maybe you can see what you can get back for him if you want to sell low and cut bait. But I think if you're a Kuznetsov owner, this is one of those situations where you don't have a choice but to hang on, even in like a shallowish league. I mean, if Eric Stahl's available, no, I still wouldn't do it. Okay, well, let's check in in a month and let's see what's going on in Stahl versus Kuznetsov. Someone remind us. I just I just have a feeling, you know, like last year, don't forget, Kuznetsov was so, so amazing, but he did slow down near the end and was like a half point per game guy, just like he is now. So this isn't just the start of this season. He was also he also didn't do very much in the playoffs last year. Like I'm just seeing some red flags and you know me, Brian, I'm a sucker. I want the guys playing with good line mates and like on the power play. And if not that, I want to see like a lot of shots on goal. I want to see something. I'm not seeing it. All I'm seeing is a great point total from last season. And I don't know how much longer that's going to be enough for me to want to hold on to a guy like him. But okay, maybe I'm crazy. Brian, that's all the players I have for this week. Do you have anyone you want to talk about before we sign off? Okay, I'll roll out one other snoozer. Patrick Marlowe, not doing so hot. Just four goals and one assist for five points in 15 games. 35 shots on goal, which is not bad. Three power play points. He's still up there on that top power play in San Jose, but nothing's coming. I I feel like maybe the power play could be succeeding a bit more and that would help him get a couple more points. But at even strength lately, he's playing with Chris Tierney and Joel Ward for the most part uh, so far this season. So if you're counting on Patrick Marlowe and he's not doing anything on the power play, then there's not much opportunity for him to do anything else. So consider the fact that you might be snoozing on him. Some players who you definitely are not snoozing on uh, that I want to just go back to hot streaks for a second. Elon Troy Stetcher is back up in Vancouver, seeing playing time and had some fantastic moments today against Dallas. Uh, He had a point against Detroit the other night. He saw 83% of available power play minutes in this game against Dallas, only 16 minutes total of ice time though. So I guess a bit of a power play specialist role for him. He just looks really great when he's got the puck. Uh, He's quietly slid into that great power play situation and you watch him and you just see that this is a guy who looks like he knows what he's doing. He knows he's ready. He's kind of like who we hoped Ben Hutton was last year, but he's actually got the skills. So we'll see if Vancouver sends him to Utica because that's what they've done twice so far this season. And then finally, Elon, one more guy who might be on your waiver wire that you can get a hold of, Toivu Teravainen. He had four points in a game against Washington. He had an assist in the game before that against Anaheim. And that's all, like, aside from that, he had one point in the eight games prior and was pointless for seven. Uh, but his power play time seems to be decent and his time on ice is okay. I just feel like maybe if he's scoring, he is someone to track. And I'm not saying it's going to come. I'm not saying to run out and grab him now, but at least have him on your watch list to consider. Except the thing is with anyone in Carolina, the goals do not come frequently, as I've said about nine times during this episode. So keep that in mind, but maybe uh, maybe just throw him on your watch list. Yeah, well, obviously they had that great game last game and he was on a line with Aho and Jordan Stahl. Though I saw that Jordan Stahl after he had an amazing game also, which he does every once in a while, but then he got injured. So we'll have to see how the lines shake out. One guy, obviously, Victor Rask. He actually you know, started the season, as we all remember, with this amazing point scoring streak. Then he went one, two, three, four games without a point, but now he has a goal in each of his last two games and actually six shots on goal in that game against Washington. So he's definitely someone who's been pretty reliable in Carolina overall. You mentioned Troy Setcher, yeah. You know, he had a goal today against Dallas. 
along with four shots on goal. And like you said, power play time. So yeah, definitely. I agree. Interesting guys to bring up. And this Troy Stetcher, add him to the list of interesting defensemen who are more interesting right now to me than maybe Truba <laughs> and Lindholm. Maybe I'm being too hard on those guys and they'll have good weeks though. I don't know if I would count on it. Okay, Brian, I think that does it for the episode. Almost. I just want to say power play time in Vancouver for Stetcher is like, you know, it's still power play time in Vancouver. The, the first part is good. The second part of that sentence is not so good. So it's not like an automatic 45 points. It's no Zach Wierenski situation, but Stetcher looks so good. He faked out Jamie Benn at the blue line. I retweeted the clip and then just like sneaks around him and took a slapper and scored on the power play. Looked so good. I really like him. Okay, now now we can wrap up. All right, because I always want to have the last word. I wanted to mention one more guy super quick. David Krejci, another game with a goal and an assist. He's a guy we talked about as someone who was really slumping at the beginning of the year. Brian told you guys, like, he had faith in David Krejci. Don't let go of him. He is on an amazing run right now. I'm seeing, like, four assists and a goal in his last three games. So hopefully he held on to David Krejci and even Tory Crew getting some points. But, okay, that's all. Oh, and Tuka Rask got the shutout today for Boston. So great. Good value over there in Boston. Brian, that is it for this show. Another long one, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Let us know. We always love to hear from you. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. And if you enjoyed the show, we would love it if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes. It's a great way to give us exposure. We're also on the Android store, so you can find us there. We're probably on some other places, but I know that those iTunes reviews really help us out. If you want to support the show financially and get some cool perks, check out our patron program, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We'll be doing a patron cast, which is a special bonus episode where we answer all the questions of the patrons. That's going to be coming in like a couple of weeks. We'll be announcing that on the Facebook group very soon. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron for all the information you need. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Kyle K., Matt L, Brady L, Matt J, Remy, Zach I, Derek, and Honest Bill. Good to have some honesty in the house in our patron group. So thank you to everyone who supports the show. This show was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica.Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job, as always. Brian, if you want to join us live next week, you can. It's every week, 8 p.m., keepingcarlson.com slash live. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. Peace.